Um, I want to hopefully catch that. Hope that nothing. Okay, never mind. Uh, hopefully, lay out some of God's word to you that's going to speak a message of hope to you. Um, we are in sometimes. I think we're overwhelmed by what's happening in our lives um, right now. There are families who are in the midst of suffering. That they're trying to celebrate a Christmas Eve service or trying to celebrate Christmas with the family. Um, there's a family in the church that is celebrating in a hospital room right now. Um, and some of you have shared, even in the couple minutes that we had to talk before the service, that um, family is sick. There are people that are hurting. There are people that are uh, struggling during the season. Some of you have suffered some pretty tremendous loss over the last year. So Christmas Eve comes with kind of a double-edged sword. A sense of love and hope that comes from Christ and Christ alone, and also a, a big sense of loss. That this is the first Christmas you're having when someone is not going to be at the dinner table, or someone's not going to be at work or at home next week. And so it's, it's kind of this time of immense tension, but yet joy, isn't it? But isn't that kind of every week? Um, isn't that every week? And we feel that. So I want us to do two things. One... I want us to look at who Jesus is. And second, I want us to see an example in his mother Mary of a person who had hope in the midst of all kinds of pain and turmoil and someone who you probably wouldn't think as an example for us of hope, but I think she is. So let's pray and then we'll jump into Luke chapter 2. Dear Heavenly Father, thanks again for tonight. Thank you for your word, that it is timeless, that it is inerrant, that it never stops, that it's never going to change, and that we are always going to be amazed every time we open it up. So I pray, Lord, that you'll put a fire in our bellies to know you more through your word and through the community of people who love you. Help us to have a Merry Christmas. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So if you do any kind of look at the world around us, don't we all kind of go, uh-oh, a little bit? I mean, in the last month, there have been six churches that have been firebombed because they're churches that proclaim Christ. Today, it happened today in the Philippines, that there are people actively trying to break the cross. But the cross can never be broken. Jesus went to that cross for us. But it began with something even more dark than I think it's hard for us to understand. Because I think we kind of read the word sometimes, we read ancient scriptures, well, that's just old stuff. You know, that's, they didn't even write it in English first, so why would we even read that, Right? None of us are quite that arrogant, are we? And we kind of have this I'm smarter than people 2,000 years ago attitude. But think about what happened in the very word of God. The Old Testament canon is closed with the last prophet in the Old Testament. And then there's 400 years of silence. God doesn't speak. He doesn't send a prophet. He doesn't send anyone. There's no signs. There's nothing. And then Jesus. So imagine 400 years of hopelessness. Where's God? Why isn't he near? Why can't I find him? Why can't I feel him? Why don't I, why is the church having, what's going on in the world? There's people being crucified under the Roman regime. There's things happening all over. And have things changed a whole lot today? I would argue not a lot. We might have cooler toys. We might be able to do things a little different. We can travel a little faster, but I don't think things have changed a lot. If you look at a couple studies that have been put out in the last few months, 
The British Psychology Society says that social media has enabled violent stories and graphic images to be watched by the public in unedited, horrific detail. Watching these events and feeling the anguish of those directly experiencing them may impact our daily lives, you think? How often have you got done watching something, reading something, seeing something, and it kind of starts to make your heart feel dark? Like, where's hope? Where is it? How can I have hope in tomorrow when all of this chaos is happening around me? And then we have something a little milder, but I think even may pervasive. How about Facebook? If Facebook is used to see how well an acquaintance is doing financially or how happy an old friend is in his relationship, things that cause envy among users, use of the site can lead to feelings of depression. So my lesson for you today is delete Facebook and don't watch 24-hour news. You'll be a happier person. But that's not realistic, is it? So we have two things that are different for us. We know more about the world than any other generation before us. We know more of what's happening immediately, but does it really change the darkness? Does it, does it change the lack of hope? I don't think so. I think it's, we're just bombarded with it even more. So I wanted to look at a person in the scriptures who had every reason to feel hopeless. Her name's Mary. You have this young woman who's betrothed to a man who's supposed to get married. She comes up with child. That doesn't happen anymore, does it? Of course not. So you have a potential single mother in a community who's going to have a child in front of all of this community. Do you think she's looking for maybe some ridicule? She's looking for some damaging comments made to her? And then an angel appears to her. And the angel says, hey, it's all okay. It's going to be great. You're carrying the Messiah, the Son of God, the hope of the world. And what's her reaction? Okay, you're an angel. I'm there. And you see this slow progression of Mary in the first two chapters of Luke, this slow progression of where she finally starts to understand exactly what's happening. And isn't that how we all come to faith? I don't know too many people that the switch just turned on. It seems to be a, a multitude of circumstances all around us, and then we can finally say and step in to a place of faith. So if we look at Luke chapter 1, the angel talks to Mary. So the angel has appeared, the angel has shown up, has said all these things to her. He said that she is going to be the one, she's going to have the baby. And then we see in verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month in, with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, did Mary say, This is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. I, I, I can't believe it. I'm the one. It's me. Praise God. What'd she say? Behold, I'm the servant. Okay, I'll do it. I'll humbly submit my life to this. I'm skeptical. I'm a little concerned. How's this going to play out? Me? I don't know. Do you know who I am? I'm just this little girl from this little spot. I don't know. Like, I'm not royalty. She has no belief even in, in her faith, that the Messiah is going to come this way. 
And an angel speaks to her. So she has an angel speak to her. And she says, okay. She's not all in. She's got some doubts. She's got some questions. She's got some, I don't know if this is really happening. But yet, if this is an angel of the Lord speaking to her, she says, let it be according to your word. And isn't that how a lot of us are in our faith? Can we just be honest on Christmas Eve? Can we just be honest to say there's lots of things in our faith that sometimes we don't really get? But because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to go for it. I'll be the servant. And we see Mary do this. We see Mary boldly, in the midst of all that's coming her way, say, I'm going to do it. I'll be your servant. I'll be the servant of the Lord. I'll do it. I don't know what's happening, how it's going to play out, what's going on. She has no clue what's going to happen to her son 30-some years later. She has no clue. But she's going to follow wherever the Lord is going to take her. We then see, if we continue on in chapter, or in chapter 1, she goes and visits Elizabeth, who are seeing the prophecy. This is her cousin, and she's carrying John the Baptist. And so she goes to meet her, who she's been told she can't have any kids. All of a sudden, she miraculously is pregnant. Like, oh man, she's having a baby. When they encounter, the baby leaps in the womb. And Elizabeth says, the Messiah is near. Like all these things are happening and it starts to click in Mary's head. Angels have spoken to her. Joseph hasn't abandoned her. Her cousin Elizabeth, the prophecies come true. There she is. Elizabeth makes these claims upon her and the child she's carrying. And then we see Mary erupt into this beautiful poem. It's called the Magnificent. This beautiful poem of faith. A beautiful poem of trust. She starts it. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So this is weeks of angels speaking, Joseph not rejecting her. She sees her cousin, and finally she says, I will be the mother of the Messiah. Isn't it like that for us? Those of us that are walking with Christ, do you ever have those moments where you're like, I can't believe he saved me. I know a fraction of the bad thoughts and the evil things that I think about and half the things I do, and he saved me? Like, praise God. Like, I know I've shared with the church family before, but there's these moments when I go back home to Vincent's, Indiana, where people, like, they found out I'm a pastor, and they're like, Barry? He, he's a pastor? Man, I don't know about that. Wow. Jesus must be real, because if that guy then maybe there's hope for me. But isn't that the long journey of our faith? That we aren't perfect in that moment, but there's this long anticipation of when we're finally going to get it. And when we get it, don't we sing? We sing amazing praise. We sing amazing songs of hope. It's, it's very much like the anticipation. We don't, we don't like to wait, do we? We, don't, we want to have all the answers now. And Mary didn't get all those answers. She wasn't given any of those answers to start with. She had to be patient, and God revealed himself to her over and over, all the way into her son's death. How many of you like to shake the presents when they're under the tree? 
My wife captured me with a picture doing that and posted it on Facebook, so everyone now sees that, that I, to this day, shake the presents. Because it's a game to me, and I like to guess them, which then ruins the surprise for everyone else, but, and I'm pretty good at it. I'm not saying I have x-ray vision or I'm a prophet, but I kind of know. And it started, even this last week, about Monday or so, Savannah said, can we open just one present? And you got that slow week of waiting, and like, no, you can't. And then tomorrow we have church, because it's Sunday and we have church tomorrow. If you're not doing anything tomorrow, we are having church. And so, like, well, now it's even pushed it even farther. It's like, oh, but the anticipation. But isn't, doesn't the anticipation and the wait make that even more joyful? The moment you finally get to tear into that present? So give good gifts. Have great surprises. Don't think that at Christmas time we can't do that. But if you do it the same way you do unto the Lord with your own faith, it's a beautiful picture of the gospel. That we all long for him to come now. There's a slow, anticipated wait. And when he finally returns, when he makes everything right again, we will glorify his name. We'll praise his name. So we see that in Mary. And I pray we see that even in the eyes of the kids when they open their, or maybe an adult, when they open their present. That it's a foretaste of when Christ returns. A couple things to leave you with. Are you willing to obey anything the Bible clearly says to do, whether you like it or not? Are you willing to trust God in anything he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? That's where hope comes from. In the last few days, uh, well, an article by Tim Keller came out. Uh, he was interviewed by a person in the New York Times. He's a pastor in New York. And he had a couple, uh, couple quotes that I wanted to share with you. As a world that is kind of hopeless or feels hopeless or feels like it doesn't have hope, you are the rays of light of the gospel that are penetrate people's hearts. A famous philosopher at New York University, Thomas Nagel, um, he recently talked about that a thoroughly materialistic view of nature can't account for human consciousness, cognition, or moral values. So you have a scientist, a philosopher, PhD at a premier university saying that a materialistic view, a view without faith, leads to no idea of hope or morality. That if you care about people in the world, if you have a heart for people in suffering, you have a heart for people in need, that's a, that's a, that's a glimpse of you being an image bearer of God. Because if a materialistic worldview really exists, you can't have those feelings. You can't care for your fellow man. You can't watch the Lifetime Channel stuff all over the news or TV and just like cry a little bit. You can't watch Undercover Boss or you know flip-flop house shows and not have a little tear when people are filled with joy. You can't do that if, if there's nothing else out there. Nietzsche tried to address this as well. He said that humanistic values of secular people are in the, such as the importance of the individual, human rights and responsibility for the poor have no place in a completely materialistic universe. So you have two people that argue for materialistic, godless, there is no truth, but they will both recognize that morality only exists because God. So how can you have hope without God? You can't. You can't. There's no hope. So on Christmas Eve, we join in with the church family from 2,000 years ago that were waiting for the hope of the universe to arrive. 
And he came as a meager baby. Not because God was trying to create this story, but to prove that he was human. That he feels the depths of your pain. That he feels the depths of all that you stress out about. And he loves you more than you can ever imagine. We see later in the Gospels why Jesus came. Jesus came at Christmas to seek and save the lost in Luke 9. Jesus came at Christmas to save sinners in 1 Timothy. Jesus came at Christmas to give his life as a ransom for many in Mark. Jesus came at Christmas not to call the righteous but sinners in Matthew 9. Jesus came at Christmas to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3. Jesus came at Christmas that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, Hebrews 2.14. What other message of hope is there? Education will fix the world. Military might will fix the world. Pacifism will fix the world. Putting our head in the sand will fix the world. The only hope we have is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And you know it's true or you wouldn't be here on Christmas Eve. Even if you got drugged here by family as this is the Christmas gift you're giving them going to church, there is no such thing as coincidence. They're all divine appointments. Jesus came as a baby so that we could relate to him. And he died for us because we couldn't do that ourselves. We couldn't wipe it away. We can't earn his love. It's a free gift of grace. And then once your heart is changed, once your heart's transformed, then you can pour that love that you've been given to so many others. Is the church perfect? Of course not. This church has me as a pastor. Will the church hurt people? Just like your family often has the biggest stings in your life come from family, sometimes the biggest stings in life come from church, don't they? But you can't blame that on Jesus. You blame that on a bunch of sinners who are trying to do their best, and maybe they mess up, and they've burnt you. And I would pray they would apologize for that. If they wouldn't, that's a whole other conversation we can have in my office. But on Christmas Eve, I want you to know that hope has a name, and his name's Jesus. And when you leave this place, there are so many people outside this building that have no hope. They have no hope. They're in the hospital room just down the road. They're in the extended care facility just down the road. They're at home alone with no hope. And you have hope in your heart, Christ in you, the hope of glory, to shine that light to so many people. If you would just embrace that truth. What a force of good we could be in this community, in this world. If we all understood that, embraced it, and carried that torch far out of this building. So on Christmas Eve, we light the candle of hope. You all brought them with you. And we're going to do, we do this every year, and it gives me goosebumps every year. This isn't just fun time for kids to play with fire in church. Although it is that. It's okay. I think too often we all sell ourselves a little short. That we don't think we have what it takes to be an agent of hope in our families, to bring hope to our community, and you do. If you carry the cross of Christ in your heart, you can make massive impacts on people. 
being kind, caring for your neighbor, loving your family well, leading your wife well, taking care of your children well. You You have no idea the influence you have. And if we collectively take the light of Christ into our community, what a glorious thing that is. We read about whole, neighbor, whole towns changing because the gospel hit them. Paul was run out of town twice because by bringing Jesus, it changed the entire economy of a, of a city. They stopped worshiping idols. They threw him out. What would happen if we really started championing the cause of Christ in Laramie? Some of us might get asked to leave town. Some of us might get asked to leave our jobs. We might get asked to do things a little different. But what a glorious thing it would be when things start changing around Laramie because of Christians on Christmas Eve that pledge to follow him and him alone. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and we're collectively going to make a almost New Year's resolution. I'm going to make it for you. So you have to do it. There's no gym membership to expire in a month. There's no list to fall apart or to throw away. It's a pledge before God that we will be a better light to our communities and to our families next year, starting tonight. And then next year when we all gather back, because you'll come back, it's awesome. We can maybe share some stories of what's happened over the last year, that we've been lights in our community. And maybe that would be our whole Christmas Eve service sharing the stories of what a light we have been or what a light has been given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone in this room that they would know you in a deep and abiding way. They may come from all over the country or for churches in town that aren't having Christmas Eve services. There's an amazing body of believers in Laramie, Wyoming. There's some great churches in this town that proclaim the truth and preach the word lights out. And I'm thankful to be friends with lots of those pastors and we partner together with lots of other churches. And I pray that we would all, as a community of believers in this town, be a light. That we would be a light of hope. That we would be a light of grace and mercy. That we would never run out of sharing the truth in love that we would hug first and talk second, that we would love our families and love our kids and send them on a mission to be lights in their schools, in the community, at work, all over this place, that we wouldn't be so selfish, that we would think the gift of Christ was given to us for us to hoard and to hold on too tight, but instead it's the perfect Christmas gift that keeps giving and being given over and over and over again. So help us, Lord. Help us to be the light of your son, Jesus. And help us bring glory to your name by serving you in a million ways. We love you, Jesus. Amen.